0: We are going to have to have a serious conversation in the Pac-12 Power Rankings this week. We have to stop wanting teams to be good and let the results speak for themselves. And speaking of speaking, Larry Scott spoke at halftime of the USC-Oregon game, and he's just said some mind-numbing things. And also, how do you build a program? What's the foundational block? Is it fan attendance? And we're going to break down all the games I'm George Reister with Ralph Amson, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you guys for joining the Pac-12 Apostles podcast. This is the podcast for you, podcast for Pac-12 fans, people who care about the Pac-12 and want more information about it. You guys, make sure you guys send us an email if you guys have anything to say. I'm mad, I'm m a d at, at unafraidshow.com. Make sure you guys share the feed, leave a rating, tell a friend about it, and come back every week. We uh, put it out on Mondays and on Thursday mornings as well. Yeah, let's get to the show. Ralph, I was at the Oregon-USC game. And at halftime... Larry Scott spoke to the media. He was watching. I'm sorry. He was at halftime, went into a little small room inside the press box, talking to the media, and he said some outrageous things, you know, that it was kind of like a small presser. So the media got a chance to ask him questions. They asked him about name, image, and likeness about Arizona being on probation USC the investigations and how he felt about that and he was just again a talking head and it made me so angry and there were a number of writers who just walked out and was like yo I I can't listen to this clown anymore. I mean it's so frustrating. So here are the highlights from what he said about the name, image and likeness. The first thing and the most prominent thing that he said about it is he repeated collegiate model and remember a few weeks ago the conference said we don't support the california bill we don't support players being paid this is about college now he says well we fully support the ncaa's model i'm sorry the ncaa working group and the work that they've done they've done great work in trying to develop something that's fair and equitable for the players and we support that okay so you're so you're backtracking clearly Then he says that these guys are students first. This has to be the priority. It's got to be a collegiate model. He must have said collegiate model like six times. I mean, it was a clear talking point. And he said that California's approach is not the right approach. Huh. So if you read their articles on unafraidshow.com, all of them, if you click on Business of Sports, you can read all of them about the NCAA. There's about 10 or 12 of them. And all California's approach is, is that players can trade on their name, image, and likeness. Like that is the only thing. And that they can hire agents and their contracts cannot conflict with with the school's current contracts. They're not paid from the school, not any of that. So if he doesn't like California's model, he's definitely not gonna like New York's, which has the players getting insurance, or South Carolina's, which has the schools getting paid di- directly, and um, and the other thing is, he, he he said that he met with student athletes. Ralph, this dude said he met with student athletes and got mixed reviews. First of all, what student athletes is he um is he meeting with? And also, what are the? And he also said that some are for being able to trade on their name, image, and likeness and it's kind of split down the middle because there are, are a number of them who are against being paid or being able to trade on their name, image, and likeness. And I can't figure out if he's lying
1: or who he talked to, Ralph. Well, first of all, we're talking about Larry Scott making any comments at all. And it like we have to sift through to find out if there's any meat in anything that he ever has to say we have to sift through it to see if anything really means anything because it's mostly filler. you remember a few years back when uh, Taco Bell got sued because their tacos are like thirty five percent beef and the rest of it's just like sawdust <laughs> yeah, 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 so like taco bell tacos thirty five percent beef that's something that I think we can reconcile if we're going to spend a buck twenty nine on a soft taco supreme at Taco Bell. But if that taco costs $5 million, it better be all meat, goddammit. And like, Larry Scott, he says nothing. He gets paid all of this money. He's been leading this conference for 10 years, and when he gets out in front of people, he just equivocates. His entire media strategy is lullabies. Sing you to sleep. Sing you to sleep. There's, you can parse and pick apart some things and wonder what he means, but he's not a leader. He's a filler. He's an empty suit. He isn't taking this conference to anything more than more signatures on pieces of paper that are brands agreeing to give this conference money. He is here as a fundraiser, and a fundraiser alone. And we have to trust him that, As we move into a future where the TV rights contract is coming up and he tells us new technologies are coming, we'll be part of those, but he can't name the technologies. He can't name how he'll get the deal done. And he has no track record of getting deals done with current entities for us to give him any faith. And so when he talks about anything, much less athlete compensation, I'd be one of those people that would want to walk right out of the room too. Because you're not getting any nutrient. Like nothing from his mouth is something that you can depend on or expect. And I get that everything is rapidly changing. And so anytime that you ever commit yourself to anything, you could be shooting yourself in the foot. But then just don't talk about it. Just say next question. Don't talk just to hear your New York accent for 10 minutes. Because it it's gotten tired. He is universally disliked amongst all 12 Pac-12 fan bases. Most of the other people involved in those situations that they essentially don't personally get handed checks from him also have serious questions about the direction of this conference. And a lot of the people who are cashing those checks also have those questions. They just don't have the balls to ask them out loud because they're cashing those checks. Okay. So- and so, I, I mean, the fact that we're even talking about him right now drives me nuts Because there's nothing we're going to glean from this. He doesn't say or do anything that matters.
0: I I can't figure out. Okay, so I'm a technology guy. I'm I'm on Mashable regularly. Um, I belong to investment groups who who hear pitches from people from Silicon Valley. All of this. So I have heard some technology things coming out that are not like... uh, public knowledge that companies are starting now that they're trying to develop uh technology and they're trying to develop platforms new social media all of these things some of them i have heard of but here is the thing is when larry scott talks about new technology the television is not going anywhere yes people watch a lot of phones on their smartphones that that's an extension of television so and Hulu and YouTube TV, which have been invested billions of dollars in and are paying fruitful returns. So you have streaming television, even Apple. Now, Apple TV as of no, November 1st, Apple TV is now a thing. They have their own TV model.
1: Yeah, my wife my wife signed up yesterday. Yeah. My wife signed up for, for Apple TV yesterday. I mean, so, yeah, you got stuff so, coming out every day
0: this idea that there's new technology coming out. No, this is the technology that you, that, that, uh, the idea of spectrum direct TV, that Comcast, that is the old wave. The new wave is buying the channels that you want to have. And unless he thinks that people are going to pay a standalone price for PAC 12 television, like four 99 a month, aside from that, there's which which makes no sense either because you have to have it as a part of another package which people can then see and get and say oh wow we really like this because will will a will millions of people pay four ninety nine a month just to watch all their sec games yep will will the most popular conference the big ten yep because the big ten has the highest rated game in all the college football this year. And it was, I think, Ohio State and Wisconsin. And Wisconsin's not even, I mean, and Wisconsin's not a name brand like, you know, some of these other universities are. It's not Michigan. It's not even uh, Michigan State probably. But Wisconsin's fan base is very loyal and people care about the Big Ten. So I I, I just don't understand why why his focus is not on streaming platforms like the ACC net network has a deal with the streaming providers now. Why not go that route? It, it, it He is a snake oil salesman. He keeps trying to make people believe that something new and something great is coming, and then guess what? His contract is going to be up for renewal about the same time that these TV contracts, so he can hustle them into the saying, look, 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 you need stable leadership while we're negotiating these things. It, it's a, all a con. And then he said that California's plan is not the right plan. Uh for I mean, the right. name, image, and likeness. And I'm
1: saying George. No, go on. do you have a kid that's near like driving age?
0: Yes, 13 years old.
1: 13 years old. Okay. So in about two years, he'll be able to do the whole learner's permit thing, get his hours, and then I'll have to go test to get his driver's license, right? Yep. So imagine that he, you know, that time comes and he doesn't really show interest. And he comes up with a bunch of excuses as to why he doesn't want to get his hours. And then he doesn't go and take the test to get his license. And then the thing that he comes back and tells you is, man, they got some great car technology coming out. I think I'm going to wait a few years and then I'll be ready then. Like, kid, you're not driving now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're not. You haven't even shown me. What are you, you going to do in a future car? What are you going to do in a hover car? If you can't grab the steering wheel now, and most everybody is hooked up to some type of regional plan for all their pro sports coverage, uh, I don't have the ability to watch Fox Sports Arizona as an Arizona resident and then also have the Pac 12 network unless I have a cable subscription that I pay about 200 bucks a month to bundle internet with. That's the only way, and that's not worth it for me. And so I think that a lot of other people are in that same situation. He hasn't even shown he could drive this car, and he said a couple of other things. I want to. I want to ask you about this because he seemed to come out and say, like, "Yeah, the calls are bad. Not what what they're going to do about him." He, he basically said, "Like, yeah, I sit back and I watch all these things with David Coleman, and there's a lot of mistakes every week. So, like, what does he think? That so, that what are you going to do? About, yes." What are you gonna do about
0: it? You are the damn commissioner. If the officials, there, there have been multiple teams who can have a gripe this season that they have lost games because of terrible calls, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm going into last year too, just with Washington State, you know, USC, which is why I feel like they made some of these changes in the first place but I haven't seen them even come out and talk about any calls in conference play they said that they were going to have that system in place to talk about calls you know after the fact and that that worked for out of conference when it was when even admitting to something like that would embarrass the Pac-12 but when it's Pac-12 on Pac-12 crime where are they at?
0: It is a disaster I was watching at the Oregon um, well so just the last two weeks against Oregon uh, in Oregon's play, there have been two atrocious pass interference penalties, just atrocious. Like one of them was clearly an offensive pass interference. The other one, the receiver fell down and wasn't even touched. And then there was an offside on Panay Sewell that he didn't even move. I mean, you're you're just sitting there. You're, you're just like, I don't understand what needs to happen. If you see the referees are bad, the only options are to either a replace them or train them better because it makes no sense. How is, I, I I was getting ready to give the Pac-12 a little bit of credit a couple of weeks ago because I saw complaints from SEC fans about their referees. I saw the, what, the Georgia, no, the South Carolina-Florida game, which was horribly officiated. And then the, the last two weeks, the, the Pac-12 is, is saying, hold, hold my beer, hold my beer, we can do worse. And there were, I think, 12 15-yard penalties, including including like eight or nine personal foul penalties in the Oregon-USC game. And as chippy as games get, it was outrageous, man. I, I just don't understand how people are supposed to watch games when the referees are the most important fa- – when they're talked about as a factor after the game.
1: I don't know how Oregon State managed to score eight touchdowns yesterday – when they had 11 penalties for over 110 yards, like I, it's just it, here's the thing: the ultimate solution. Just like there are inevitable things about football that we all know will happen at some point, we just don't know when. The first thing is we're probably going to lose kickoffs. It's just a matter of time, right? It could be five years, it could be 10 years. Kickoffs are probably going to go away at some point. That's something that most people accept. Most people hate it, but most people accept it. The other thing is, I think eventually we're just going to end up with a sky ref, right? Because it is 10 times easier for us to see what's going on on our 4K HD televisions in our own living rooms than it is for a 65-year-old doing a part-time job running up and down the sidelines with people twice his size banging into each other. Okay, So I think think that those things are inevitable. The other thing that I think is a universal truth uh, is that instant replay has made referees much worse at their job. Because you can depend on it in certain situations to make up for when you miss a call, but if you don't, if if, if that call was close, if you were not even close to being right, then you don't get to overturn it. It, it. Instant replay has had the same effect on refereeing sports that Wikipedia had when I was in college. Like by, by my third or f- my by my third year of college, I'm pretty sure I completely forgot how to do the whole like index card system research thing in the library. <laughs> like, there's, if I wanted to, I'm pretty sure I couldn't recreate the whole like Dewey decimal card catalog um, school system anymore because I had Wikipedia and that could link me to other articles that they were referencing in, in the first place. And I think that instant replay has kind of had that effect on these officials. They can depend on replay. but What happens when you can't? What happens when it's Pac-12 network and they only have three cameras instead of five?
0: Yep. And and it is a big difference as a person who's called games, been an analyst on games with ESPN, FS1. There is a huge difference when you have a six camera game versus when you have a prime time or uh you know, whether you're the 1230 Fox game or the 330 Fox game or, you know, or the ABC game, the game game of the week, the, the, the 430 kick, it is such a big difference because you're talking about six cameras versus like 26 cameras where they have cameras on the pylons, cameras on the first downs, sky cameras, all of that. So it makes it so much difficult to get it right. The, the, the thing that Instant Replay has helped with though Ralph I do believe is that it's helped with catches because I think that the understanding of a catch is is for real now I, I I think that you know a catch when you see it and you don't know a catch when you see it I think that they've tinkered with the catch rules enough to
1: where we understand and I I don't know man ever since ever since Calvin Johnson I felt like the catch rules more fluid than people with gender <laughs> identities nowadays like there's a million different things that could and cannot be a catch. And I just want someone to tell me what is and isn't. Like, I, I don't want to yeah. be the expert. I don't want to understand it from my living room. I just want to know, did he have possession of the ball? Or or not, I don't think that it needs to be a novel, but it kind of has to be now because we have all these camera angles and we yeah. have all this technology. When you you know I, I back when refs were trusting their gut, even if they got it wrong, we didn't have really yeah. any other option well, but to accept it. Now we can see well, things well, that I, they can't. I
0: like it for the catch, no catch, and for the fumble, no fumble. Cause I, cause I think that over the course of, you know, um, you know, Tom Brady empty hand to where we are now, I think that we are more evolved and fully understand what it is. I hate being able to challenge pass interference. I hate being able to challenge a lot of these other penalties because I do think that they are subjective and should be a- as such, but you need to have them trained better. But also I believe that, that, these referees, these Pac-12 referees that they should have, and all referees everywhere, when you're watching things in replay, there's a certain speed that you should be able to watch it at. You should not be able to watch it frame by frame because you're trying to adjudicate something that would happen in real time, like down to a blade of grass, especially when the when the game itself is, is adjudicated by two sticks and a chain. So now breaking it down to frame by by frame just seems silly to me.
1: But that brings me back to Larry Scott. So he acknowledges that there are issues, which means that he's acknowledging that there's this giant unified voice out there that says Pac-12 officials are bad, right? All those same people that are saying those things also think he sucks. So he's just blocking them out as crazy people? That, though... That the Venn diagram, the Venn diagram of Larry Scott is bad and Pac-12 refs are bad is a circle. So it, it to acknowledge one group is to acknowledge the same group that feels as though he's not doing in my mind. In my mind, I, I thought that that was the one thing that he did last night that was the most interesting was to even bring up the fact that there are issues with with, with officiating because to me it feels like acknowledging the masses outside your window, you know, it, it's he because he's been the Marie Antoinette this whole time he's been the let's let them eat cake guy right like he he has not acknowledged the fury of the masses he sort of tried to um, he sort of tried to keep his chin up and talk in a hopeful tone, which has made him come off to the people, the fans, it's made him come off as uh, somebody who doesn't understand their plight, somebody who is aloof, and somebody who is sort of ignorant to what's going on. But if he's going to say, actually, we do have a lot of problems with the officiating, I watch every week with David Coleman, what's the exact quote? Hold on, let me me get this exact, because I I might be being unfair to him. Uh, right now, he said, I sit through a review every single week with David Coleman, the head of our officiating. And I can tell you there's a significant number of mistakes every week. And that was a Rosh Markazi from the Los Angeles Times, formerly BSPN, that quoted him on that. So um, he's acknowledging that there are officiating issues. And I feel like if he thinks that's going to make him an everyman or score him points with everybody, I think instead it's going to just let people know, like, oh, he can see us. Let's throw tomatoes at him. You know, I, I, that, I don't know. That's my take on it.
0: That is a great point. I mean, that is a big deal. The fact that he admitted this and is doing nothing about it. Because they sold us on... Well, they tried to sell us at Pac-12 Media Day. Sell the fans on transparency, transparency, transparency. That that's going to solve the problem. And now there's nothing transparent going on at at all. Um, you, you read an interesting article, Ralph, about building winning programs
1: um yeah yeah (laughs) go for it
0: (laughs) i'll wind up while you're talking oh that that the found what is the foundational block of winning programs i mean there are some people that say it's the coaches some people say it's the players the administration their quote-unquote commitment to to winning but you read an article that I found very interesting and, and craziness at the same time.
1: Okay, so Kent Summers of the Arizona Republic, long time Cardinals beat writer who just uh, took a job as a columnist and you know, as a columnist you gotta flex your muscles, you gotta throw out and you know, you'd appreciate that, George, you're an opinionist, right? You you put your opinion out there. Yeah for everyone to see. One of Kent Summer's opinions is if you want to be a top 25 program, and I think he's talking about Arizona state specifically, then the fans need to act like it. And it's, I mean, we get this everywhere, right? Like if you want them to be good, then you got to show up too. You got to do your part. Um, if you want your team to be good, you know, fill the stadium because there's been some serious attendance issues everywhere. I think that the announced crowd for homecoming at University of Arizona was 39000 for homecoming for what was a middle-of-the-day kickoff on a beautiful day. And so, obviously, we're running into huge, huge issues with attendance. And he basically says, like, if you want this program to be good, uh, you have to be invested, you know, or else it's not going to happen. Um, and, and my counter to that is always like, all right, well, Nebraska, <laughs> Nebraska's top 10 in attendance every single year, and they're 12 and 21 uh, since since 2017. So, I mean, y- you can show up and you can be the craziest, loudest fans in the world. I mean, when is Nayland Stadium ever half full? Tennessee fans are wild. Their team's hasn't been elite in a long time. So I, I, don't, I don't think that that's one of the foundational blocks of it, which made me want to ask you the question. What do you think the foundational blocks the two or three foundational blocks for a winning program are? because in my opinion, uh, fan support is great, but it's not it's that's one of those if you build it he will come type situations right like I think that the attendance and the affinity comes after you have the foundation built.
0: For sure they, I mean I have 100 I would put fan support. At the near the bottom of the list, because fans support people who are who they have a vested interest, who make them happy and enrich their lives, because that that's why there was a study done. And they talked about how fans are. There's a we won and they lost. So it's we when we win, it's they when they lose. So even though, and, and when you see fans of long-suffering fan fan bases, it's because they've had success. You look at the Cubs' 108-year drought. They had been to the World Series. They had lost. They had had heartbreakers. All of these things, that's what invests the fans. But then when you, and, and having history, that that is it. But the things that build a program are, first of all, the administration, the schools, have to make a quote unquote commitment to winning. That commitment to winning is financial. it is um, sometimes with your admissions standards. if you are Notre Dame, sometimes you might have to let some kids you wouldn't normally qualify into into school. if there is there has to be a commitment, then you need a coach. Your coach has to build a culture. He's got to want to be there. He's got to bring a good staff and he's got to recruit good players. And from there, because if you notice what happens at winning schools, because my mind you, and I I can judge for, I can show you this from Oregon before I got to Oregon in 99. Oregon was not what it is now. Like kids weren't, uh, you didn't see Oregon gear in Los Angeles you didn't see it in Florida Alabama Texas nowhere else so then the fans became so rabid and so crazy when they were winning same thing with Nebraska fans why they keep selling out even though the team is not winning there's pride surrounding it people care about this team they care about it because they won so much, and because they they were great in the community. All of that. It's small town thing. So if you build it, the fans will become invested. Their kids will want to sport the gear. That's what makes fans invested. It is not just the uh, fans saying, "Oh, we're going to show up." Yeah, we're going to show up. And then because the fans don't, ha- the fans have a minimal impact on winning and losing. So you have to give them something to cheer about, something to be invested in. Some I mean, w- when when you look at bad teams, do uh do you think that anybody from let's say uh oh oh, oh, oh okay, e- even though this team is on the uptick right right now, do you think that Oregon State fans, even even now, when 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 they lose a game? When they lost to Oklahoma State, do do you think anybody in the community lost sleep or like had a bad day or went home and kicked their dog? No. But when Oregon loses, people are upset. When when um when USC would lose, when Pete Carroll was there, when they lost in the National Championship game to uh to Texas, it was a lot of very, very upset people when UCLA law, uh, had the, 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 the debacle with Miami with, with the hurricane. Well, um, yeah, that thing people were upset when Alabama loses people, poison trees. I mean, it is that serious. And If you build it, they will come, Ralph. It is not the other
1: way around. And I think, I mean, you you can have, you can, like you said, you can lay foundational blocks for people to want to attend your games, but those don't necessarily make for foundational blocks for long-term success, which is the way to build a long-term affinity for your fans. So take a team like the Miami Marlins, for example. They have two World Series in their short history, right? They averaged in 2018 10,000 fans per game. Ten thousand fans per game for a major league baseball team that has two world series titles, and so you know it, it's not just it's not just winning it's the culture it's a little bit of everything and you have to be invested in making it something you know where where' where where people want to be you know when I bring up Nebraska as an example, some people wonder if i'm insulting uh if if I'm insulting nebraska or or if I'm insulting all of these Pac-12 schools where where the attendance isn't that great. And basically what I'm trying to say is, like you, George, the fans have no bearing on whether or not they're going to win the game. That's up to the players and coaches. So you could fill a stadium with 100,000 people, but if the players don't execute, it that that's really on them. But the ability to fill a stadium with 100,000 people has to do with the culture that you create around that program. And I had a lot of people reply to me on Twitter today and say, Well, that's because there's nothing to do in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I think that that would have been the case 10 years ago. That's a fun insult to hurl at the people of Nebraska 10 years ago. I'm from a small town. I get it. But now, with 4K HD ultra televisions, with video games that make you feel like you're in another world, with everything in the world on demand on Netflix and things like that, you can have more fun in Lincoln, Nebraska... In 2019, than you could have had in Disneyland in the 1980s. The possibilities are endless, George. Like the fact that anybody ever leaves their house anymore is miraculous because you have everything (laughs) that you could ever want right in your home. And they continue to try to make things as convenient for us as possible. It takes some effort to want to go out in the cold in Lincoln, Nebraska, stand outside all day long pay your hard-earned money to go into a stadium and get beat by Purdue. Like Those people are still yep. making that choice. And, and again, if a full stadium would mean that the team on the field was going to win, then yeah, I, I would say that that column is right and you need to fill the stadiums. But the the building blocks, I think, of any program success just have to be uh, the, the same thing that a coach tells a player is to stay humble and stay hungry. Understand that you can't lean on your past successes and understand that that in order to to be great you're going to have to be invested and make some sacrifice but that happens at a program level like that it, that has nothing to do with the people that are sitting in the nosebleeds on a saturday i just i just don't i don't feel that that's the case
0: i 100% agree with you you guys make sure that you guys go to unafraidshow.com check out all the articles there and also um. Make sure you guys share the podcast. Tell a friend about the Pac-12 Apostles. This is the podcast for us. Um.
1: Can we talk about Willie Taggart? Yes. <laughs> Can we talk about yes. Willie
0: Taggart real quick? Yes. So <laughs> if you have not heard, um, I mean, I actually, I don't know if you would be listening to this podcast if you hadn't heard the fact that Willie Taggart got fired. Willie Taggart got fired by the Florida State Seminoles former Oregon head coach who created a controversy when he left, when he walked out the door, uh, it was a big deal. And now he has been fired after a year and a half. So I had a couple little stats from, from uh, this. So he was nine and 12 at Florida state. He, um, he signed a, well, Actually, they haven't even produced the actual co- contract. He has a letter of intent that's been pub- published, but the actual contract doesn't appear to be finalized yet, or they just haven't produced it for some reason, even though it's a public institution. Uh, six years, $30 million, and they owe him 85% of the remaining salary. So Willie Taggart will take home approximately $17 million on his way out of FSU, plus the approximate 10 million dollars he made already how do you what where where do you stand on, on on this and i'll get to where i stand as a former i mean so well as a oregon fan and how this worked out
1: well i will tell you this uh shortly after he was hired february 23rd 2017 shortly after he was hired by oregon he said something uh he made some public comments and I made my mind up right then and there. I was like, this guy is not going to last. And I even tweeted that Willie Taggart isn't going to last, you guys. That's that's what I tweeted. And it was basically because he was talking about the Andrew Greif column, um, I believe, about the players being hospitalized from uh, rhabdosis or whatever. And he said, um, when you're not fair and honest, then to me that's personal. When you do something that's negative and it's going to be personal, then I won't have shit to do with you. And so it was when Willie Taggart drew a line in the sand on honesty in college football that I was like, if this guy loses, he's going to spontaneously combust. And if he wins, it'll bring more scrutiny, and he's going to spontaneously combust as well. Because in a few short weeks after he was hired by Oregon, he had two scandals, a beef with a reporter, a coach get a DUI, and another coach tweet a picture of Ducks flying in like a cock and balls formation, which when I pointed out to that coach um, uh, ended up with me being blocked on Twitter, that was coach Jimmy Dory. Uh, <laughs> it was just like, it was just a mess. He, I, I can't, hold on. Let me see if I can find the tweet. He said, recruits right now, ducks fly Northwest for the fall. And it was just a gif of a bunch of mallard ducks flying in the shape of a, of a penis. Um, and I was like, man, these coaches don't know the area. They don't know what they're doing. Um, and and you know when when he was given the opportunity, he bounced to Florida State while standing in Tyler Shuck's backyard taking calls from, you know the that administration while also recruiting him. And so you know that, that not a lot of love lost on 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 my end of things. I was kind of happy to see him. I thought was a fantastic recruiter. I thought the biggest appeal of Willie Taggart was his staff, and he didn't take yeah, them. Yeah, he him.
0: took all the so, go all the. Bad coaches, or 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 the coaches that <laughs> that weren't either great recruiters or all of that. He left. Well, he took those guys with him, and he left Mario Cristobal, Arroyo, uh, Royo, a bunch of the other guys, and a bunch of the other staff at Oregon. He made the 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 people who had been there, who had fallen into the trap of the old coaches who had who I love and who are near and dear to my heart but they had believed as a thing that you couldn't recruit to Oregon. You couldn't recruit top 10 classes. You you know that the USC would always have the advantage. Texas, all these schools would always have the advantage. And Willie Taggart came in like, okay, why why not us? Our name is buzzing out here in these streets. So he was a, I thank him for that. His teams are undisciplined. They always lead the, the conference or the nation in penalties. You know, he, he's a guy who I believe could have been a really good coach. But here is the problem in life. Sometimes your gifts, talents, and abilities take you to a place that you are either not prepared for or not mentally, spiritually, and emotionally ready for. So there is something to be said about getting too much too soon. And that's what happened with Willie Taggart. He needed more years of development. Like when you get fast tracked in coaching, it's like if you get fast tracked in life, sometimes you don't have the requisite skills. You don't have the depth of knowledge to be able to be successful in certain jobs in certain fields, even though you may have talent out of the roof. Sometimes you are not just ready yet. just, just, just because you can jump a a a fifty inch vertical and can make thirty five three pointers in a in a row, that doesn't mean that you are mentally ready for the grind of the NBA.
1: And so, I mean, that's a, that's a Peter Principle, right? The concept in management that people in a hierarchy like they rise to their level of incompetence. Like you'll get promoted and you'll get promoted, and you get promoted until one day you end up in a position that you're not ready for, or not prepared for, or not equipped for. And uh, I think we all run into that. Like I, I just I just scrapped an NFL podcast that I've been working on for over a year before the first episode. I had actually recorded a couple of episodes. I scrapped the entire thing because I realized that like, oh my gosh, like I'm out, I'm literally out of my league. Like it's not my passion. It's not what I pay the most attention to. And, and, and I, I was able to catch it before the whole thing went down in flames and affected my credibility in other areas. Not that I have all that much to begin with, but y- you have to be, you have to be self-aware to a certain extent. Um, but if the Peter principle involves someone handing you tens of millions of dollars to be at your highest level of incompetence, take it. sign take me take up. It. <laughs> I will do a bad job for you for $20 million. Absolutely. I will. Yeah, I will.
0: I will fail. Don't, don't worry. And all the public scrutiny and all the shaming that comes with it, I'll I'll get over it, I promise. I, I will yeah. not yeah, I will I will not sue. I won't bite back. I'll just, you know, I'll just take take my lumps and say, you know what, I did not do a good job. You know, maybe, maybe next time around, because Willie Tagger is going to coach again.
1: Would you um, okay? So that, that brings me to the question. This is how I want to tie it back into the pack 12. Is there a place for him in the Pac twelve, Pacific twelve, no, tournament, anywhere, absolutely at not, any level, any any position, any coordinator job, anywhere. Oh, um,
0: okay, so he wasn't doing a good job as a coordinator either, because well, as a coordinator and a head coach, maybe he just needs to be a coordinator. That actually, the the proper place for him at this point in time is in Nick Saban's soup kitchen for coaches,
1: where. Yeah, where where We're, he hires do the all same
0: field thing. head coaches.
1: Could he do that? Could could Urban Meyer? Could Urban Meyer, if he gets hired at USC, could he have his own West Coast soup kitchen? He
0: could. But but like Urban Meyer isn't a soup kitchen kind of kind of kind of guy.
1: No, he runs a frat house. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, he, he he had old boy from Rutgers. Oh, my goodness. Uh. Siano, he said. You know the uh, Zach, um, Zach. Oh yeah, Zach we, we don't want to talk about oh, Zach Smith. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so he's yeah, so he's he's running a frat house. He's not running a soup kitchen. And oh, but then that can transition us over into a coach that, if you read Bill Pulaski's article in the LA Times, it looks like he basically fired Clay Helton last night. He said Clay Helton's done. And that, and Arash Markazi, I believe, wrote an article saying that from anonymous sources that he's heard from, that USC is going to do anything it takes. Do you hear the words? Anything it takes to get Urban Myers their head coach.
1: Do you, do you think that's what, what was behind the the athletic director hire that they're rumored to be about to make?
0: The 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 guy from Cincinnati.
1: Mike Mike Bone. Yeah. He he was at uh he was at Colorado. Yeah, yeah and he got ousted at he, at he, Col- Colorado. Well, first of all, he made a couple of really crappy football yeah, hires he hired, at
0: Colorado. Uh, um uh, the guy from UCLA. Oh, he he hired Embry, Mike McIntyre. Embry and Hawkins. Yep. Embry, Hawkins, and Mike McIntyre. So he hired
1: McIntyre, well, McIntyre is pretty yeah, correct. I would say that he's probably like two for five because he also he hired Tom Cable at Idaho and Tom Cable I mean ended up an NFL coach right so you can't argue with the eventual results but Tom Cable also won like five or six total games at Idaho in several years as the head coach so he did a very bad job for Idaho uh Embry was just here that's the worst Colorado's ever been and that was what Mike Mike McIntyre had to put. back Yeah, but together. part of that was, and I think probably what they're still yeah, from. yeah. But
0: wasn't that part of the administration's fault too? Because they wouldn't give coaches long term contracts, so then they couldn't get recruits.
1: Yeah, I suppose. So would you would you be okay with like as a consolation prize if they can't get Urban Meyer with the Mike Bone connection bringing Luke Fickle over from Cincinnati? Because Luke, that's a Luke, I, Fickle, Luke Fickle's a good, coach. He is ask, a good coach.
0: Ask ask UCLA fans.
1: Yeah, ask
0: uh, ask ask Ohio State fans who ha- who he's given a little bit of trouble, even though he hasn't beat him. Yeah, people yeah. believe uh, Luke Fickle is a good coach, and but the problem with hiring him at USC is the same problem that USC has all the time. They want a big name, sp- sp- splashy hire, all of this, and they have a double problem.
1: They're so Hollywood. Look, they got to build a movie with Brad Pitt, yep. even if it's not the role for him. Like, you got to have a minute. So yeah, I get that.
0: So if you bring in Urban Meyer, you run into two problems. First thing is, A, you said we would do anything we possibly can. So anything that actually fits right into Urban Meyer's, <laughs> you, you know, style, <laughs> do anything uh... possible. Cause scandal has followed Urban Meyer wherever he has gone. It is the truth. He's a great coach. He is in, in, you know, but off the field at Florida, so many arrests. You got, I mean, everything from the Pouncey brothers to Aaron Hernandez to a, a litany of other guys who were under his watch and under his tutelage that had significant issues during college and after college. So you can't say he's developing these men into, into better human beings. All right. Then you have what happened at Ohio state. Very clear, very, very evident, nothing to talk about. So you, so California is a very liberal and progressive place. Uh, They protect their women, protect children, all of these things, and the lady who they hired as their president is of uh, champions women. So, how are you going to get around Urban Meyer and his history, and their and their new athletic director being in California? How are you going to sell this? That would be my question.
1: Oh, I'm sure they'll like launch some foundation at the same time as it's... I wasn't a buyer into this. I wasn't a buyer into that like a rumor could be so loud and be true at the same time. Because it it just there's no way, right? There's no way that you could know twelve months before the fact that Clay Helton's probably gonna get fired and that Urban Meyer's probably gonna take over. Like it can't be that obvious. Why? Nothing ever works that way. And now that we get closer to what feels like the inevitable from happening, I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like how was it this obvious? Like, and at this point it feels like maybe there's no, no other option. Like this is definitely going to happen. And somehow I'll still be surprised that they were able to, they were able to make things work out in the open the way that they did. Like, this is, this is Anthony Davis. This is Anthony Davis level tampering, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like for an entire year, you knew that he was going to be paired with LeBron James. And you're like, well, you, we can't have Rich Paul just out here, like talking about it. Like we can't we can't make it that obvious. And then it happened. So I mean, if it can happen with Anthony Davis, why not Urban Meyer? Dude.
0: Oh, okay. And then some. Uh, I was talking to somebody at the booth yesterday, and they said, "Oh, I don't know if Urban Meyer if he wants to coach because of his health issues and all that." And I was like, "What? What health issues?" So you want you want me to believe? Granted. Do, do I think he is Jack LaLanne? No. Do I think he is the healthiest man? Great, great it? reference. No, but here is the thing. He retired from Ohio state with these fake fainting episodes on the sideline and all of that. And I know college coaching college football is stressful, but for a man who has health problems, then left in that same year that you re, that you retired for health problems. You you take a job in the administration as like the assistant athletic director at Ohio State. You take a job doing a rigorous doing a podcast multiple times a week uh on leadership and all of this stuff. And then you take a Fox job where you have to fly across the country every single week. So this man has three
1: jobs. Does that sound like anybody who has health problems, Ralph? I mean it sounds like somebody who's inviting health problems is what it sounds like. <laughs> it sounds like somebody who has trouble with work life balance like and that and, and and I think that a lot of if he keeps having to retire or move on from jobs because he, just his methodology is ultimately what affects his health then I think what you're talking about is something that's really it's really on him. It's really on his habits. I look at I look at his schedule just now and what he's up to and I'm like, "Man, how is this better?" Like, exactly. Is, is, is that a dude with health problems? I mean, I, oof. It's, it, it's an interesting dance to do. I, I would say this. He would have been a lot more forthcoming about not wanting to coach again than he has been if he believed that his health would preclude him from doing so. Could that still be the case? Like I you know, I worked a sales job one time. I was working, I was working probably like a hundred hours a week. It was sales, it was marketing, it was social media. I mean, it was it was an absolutely crazy schedule. I was making fantastic money. Um and, and I'm not really like a money person. I've never really been motivated, but that's why I work in sports now. Um, but you know, there was a time when like just going to that job would elevate my my bottom number on my blood pressure by like 20. I would get my blood pressure taken in the morning and get it taken like at work. And it would fluctuate that much every single day. And it got to the point where I was like, all right, I, I took two weeks off and, and, and kind of established a baseline and eventually ended up like moving into something else. And so like, it, but I, even I would have to admit in that situation of like, okay, if I keep going to this job, it could have seriously adverse health effects. So if somebody asked me if I'm going to go back to this job after I've been out of it for a year, I would say like, no, probably not because it could kill me. And he doesn't seem to have that same concern. Ex- ex- he's exactly like, well, I, he's like, as far as I know, I'm done. You are you. Ask yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as, far, as, far, as far
0: as I know, I'm not li- leaving my, my wife and family. Yeah. As far as I know.
1: <laughs> men are only as faithful as their options. Is that, that's that Chris <laughs> Rockland, right? Yeah. So he's like, as far as I know, I'm done because they haven't offered me the job yet. As soon as they offer me the job, I'll know whether I'm done or not. Yeah, he's
0: been super coy about it. But if he doesn't take this job, it's going to be, well, actually, well, two parts. If he does take the job, he gets instant credi- credibility. USC is back. They're going to recruit. They're going to be able to flip recruits. It's going to turn around super quick. That's the first thing. If they don't, oh, dude, they're gonna be screwed. They're gonna end up with like Jack Del Rio as their coach, which which will be a disaster too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jeff Fisher, yeah,
0: exactly. Um, okay, so now we can get to our Pac-12 power rankings and then get into the games. Ralph, what is your in your Pac-12 power rankings? Because this has gotten very difficult, extremely difficult, and and I want to say this ahead of time that. It is time that we start letting the records and the results speak and stop trying to you know use our quote unquote eye test and the team this is a very loud subject and the me. coaches and the coaches that we think are good the coaches the the teams that we thought were good in the preseason and that are perennially good we have to let the results speak for themselves Ralph. We have to. So, with so with that said, what is your twelve to? Uh, actually, yes, that was a little bit of a subtweet at you, but but even bigger <laughs> than that, it's more at the entire nation. Because I'm sitting there like, look, you have to just let the results speak. Stop trying to want it to be something else because it's not that.
1: Oh man, you, I'm going to get made fun of for mine. But if you if you just showed me mine before, I mean, if you showed it to me and said like, hey, these are someone's packed up power rankings, I'd make fun of them. So, all right, let's just kick it off. These are my 12 through seven. Coming in at number 12, I've got Colorado. They are one in five in conference. They can't stop anybody. We only get good Steven Montez once out of every three weeks. And sometimes that's not even enough. Uh Coming in at number 11, I have got Arizona, who fired their defensive coordinator for giving up 450 yards a game, only to turn around and give up 550 yards and eight touchdowns. <laughs> now, you and I talked about on this podcast that it was definitely not a uh, – it wasn't a coaching issue. It was definitely personnel, And so, uh, which I guess comes back to coaching and recruiting as well. But, um, yeah, they're they're not good right now. At number 10, I have Washington State. Um, Which I still feel like Washington State is a very capable football team, but they just come out on the losing end every single week. And so, uh, you know, they're 1-4 in conference. It, It is what it is. Their victories, every single week that goes by, their victories at a conference don't look that great. Um Cal didn't play and I bumped them down, so feel free to talk about my inconsistency. Um <laughs> at number 8, I've got Arizona State and uh they could possibly be lower and I don't think that you can argue that because again, Colorado is one in five in conference and guess who that win is against on the road. Um and at number 7, I have Stanford, uh the Jekyll and Hyde of the conference. Um, you know, they some weeks they deserve to be top six, and some weeks they deserve to be in the bottom three. Hello. Oh, did I lose you? Yeah.
0: Oh, should I go all the way through? Oh wait, wait. What what number? Did you stop? At, I, I, I thought I you were at, at n- number eight. Okay. Hold up. Okay. Seven. I'm tripping. Yeah.
1: Okay. So what, what, what were your 12? Cause I, I. Colorado, up. Arizona, Washington state, Cal, Arizona state, Stanford is my bottom six.
0: Okay. Okay. Cool. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. We'll pick up from there. Um, Ralph. I I I don't hate your I don't hate your bottom teams. There is, though, one team that is in your bottom teams that's not in my bottom team. So uh, I have Colorado coming in at 12. They are an epic disaster. They're falling apart. I mean, they can't beat anybody at this point in point in time. And yes, it's a personnel issue, but part of it though, like I don't know if they've just quit though a little bit too. He needs different people because these people don't have the type of football character that you need, apparently. I mean I mean, and mind you, that's not a knock on the kids. That that comes from coaching. So that comes from uh McIntyre and his staff. They quit on 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 him and now they're quitting on Mel when the going gets tough. Uh I got Cal coming in at number eleven. No, sorry. I have Arizona coming in at number 11. I apologize. Uh, Cal did not play and went up in the rankings. Arizona is, it, it's just awful, dude. Just awful. Pick a quarterback, please. I said it. They will not win until they pick a quarterback. Do you want Grant Ganell or do you want uh, Khalil Tate? And Khalil Tate only shows up to play sometimes. I don't get it last last week. He ran the ball all over the place this week. I'm not, I'm I'm not running. I'm laissez faire. I'm checked out. Well, well, that's what you get. And this is what you get. Mike Sumlin pick, make a choice. A double manded man is unstable in all his ways. That's why you're number 11. I want to move you to number 12, but Colorado's just awful. Uh, Number 10. I got Cal Cal is a better football team than number 10. However, they are falling i'm sorry they are zeros zeros without their quarterback without chase garbers hopefully they get him back for the last two games of the season against what stanford and ucla that's that's my hope for them next team up i got washington state you can't argue with the results they're 1 and 4 in the conference yes their offense is difficult to is difficult to uh stop but they can't get enough plays on offense to win games and their defense eventually gives it up too um next team up i got at number at number 8 i got Arizona State this is a team that i was that when they were doing so well in the beginning of the season i felt like that they were that they were living that they had built a house on quicksand that they had won so many one possession games that could have gone the other way. Jaden Daniels was saving them. They were playing with, you know, 17-year-old tackle and young offensive linemen, so many true true freshmen. That this was a recipe to fall apart at some point in time. And that's what's happened. And at number seven, I have Washington. I have Washington at number seven. You cannot argue with this. You, you, you can't argue with the results. They are two and four in the Pac-12. They have lost to Cal, who we both say is in toward the bottom now, right? They've lost to St- Stanford. Yeah. They've lost to Oregon. And they have lost to um. Yeah, they lost to Cal, Stanford, Oregon. And they lost one more. Who else did they lose to, Ralph? Cal Stanford, Oregon. Oh, why has it escaped me? Oh, Utah. Ha! ha! Uh, this this weekend they lost to Utah. Uh, so so yeah. So you can't argue with the results. They are who they are. They're two and four in conference, they're five and four overall. We can't pretend like they're something that they're not. Now, Ralph, what's your one to six?
1: Coming at number six, I've got Oregon State. Their offense is just so much fun to watch. Uh, Jake Luton continues to just be accurate, not turn the ball over. Um, when they run, it's just a very no-nonsense style. Uh, that defense might be a one-man defense, but what a man Hamilcar Rochette is. He's he's something else. He's somebody that I was all – like I just would shout from the rooftops about him when he was uh, at the high school level. And, um, you know, he, he was on the same high school team as Nikhil Harry. And he was almost like you know evil Nikhil. He was the pass rusher, uh, and and Nikhil was the pass catcher, and and they were the same size. But my goodness, they put some good weight on him out at Oregon State, and he's been patient. And uh, I think he's he's up to something crazy, like 14 sacks or something absurd. He he had himself a day. Um, but as long, I mean, as long as they're a little bit of a danger in, in the pass rush, they'll be able to make some stops, enough stops. Um, I you know I think they're probably bull bound um, coming in at number five i've got usc um what a mess usc is but they're still very talented uh i think they tried to they tried to out physical and out finesse oregon um (laughs) and uh you know what what, what's your saying about a double-minded they just they they couldn't do either i'm not sure they're good at one or the other um coming in at number four and I'm going to skip right over it and talk real fast is UCLA. Moving on.
0: <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Geez. I knew you had uh, to do it Ralph. Yes. Vindication. I could not be more happy. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh subtle. Okay. Um <sighs> And then I would change your mood a little bit and say that even though Washington is losing to everyone, it's still very, very, very evident, uh, especially in yesterday's game where where you know they they had every opportunity to to put Utah away and just didn't take it. Um, I still consider them the third best team in this conference, which you've made plenty right. Oh, I get, bro, it. I get stop, it. I get it. I get it. I know. I know you're not wrong. I'll, I, I will be the one to admit that I'm wrong. It's just how I feel right now. At number two I have Utah um, gosh a healthy Tyler Huntley could could tempt me um, to make them number one and I know that you got something up at unafraidshow.com that that makes that argument um, but after watching Oregon last night pull away from USC I just don't I don't think that Utah has that in them so that keeps Oregon at the number one spot for me
0: Ah, <sighs> Ralph, there's so much to <laughs> um, uh, un- unpack here with yours. I can't while, – while I was simul- – like, you gave me such a high and an elation with with this UCLA thing that that you brought me back down with Washington. How I, – I can't understand. They are two and four in the conference, Ralph. They've lost to Cal, Stanford. I, okay, granted, they've lost to Oregon and Utah, which are – the, which are both top 10 teams. Okay. Give them that, but they've lost to Cal and Stanford as well. Like, how can you give them number the third best team in the conference with a big
1: smile on my face? <laughs>
0: That's how. Oh my God. Okay. So my number six, cause I had Washington num- number seven, the results have to be the results. Um, I got Stanford at number six, who is I I, I, actually, I'm going to switch Stanford and what? No, I'm not. Um, (laughs) because Stanford is significantly better when they have their quarterback, when they have a quarterback, they're like a manageable team. Like they've won games when KJ, when Jack West is not starting when, when, when KJ Costello or, um, yeah, is starting. They are a good team. They are a, a pretty good and a formidable team. Um, I got Oregon State at number 5. I cannot believe it. If you had told me that Oregon State would be number 5 and possibly go into a bowl game before this season started, I would have laughed at your face the same way you laughed at my face when or, when I said that um when I said UCLA was going to win the Pac-12 South, which they are in second place <laughs> right now, by the way.
1: Hey, Oregon um, State's <laughs> fun as hell to watch, though. You got to admit. They are a blast yeah, they are. to watch.
0: Yep, I got USC at number four, UCLA at number three. Ralph, they are four and two in the conference. (laughs) And if it weren't for that Oregon State loss, they would be like in the driver's seat. And truth be told, they still control their own destiny. If they can mess around and beat Utah, which I don't think is going to happen, but if they do... Do you realize that you see Ralph? Ralph, I am a spike the football kind of kind of guy, as you can see how you as how I reacted. If UCLA wins the Pac-12 South, I am going to be uncontrollable for an entire yeah. podcast.
1: Uh it's not going to happen, so I'm not that worried about it. But I do want to point out all the yelling and stuff you did at me earlier in the year about teams with the same number of wins, uh, but one of them lost head to head, and just point out that you have UCLA above Oregon State. Ooh,
0: that is, that, is, <laughs> that is fair, Ralph. That is, that is fair. You don't get do a choice in this
1: conference, that. though. You always have to eat your vegetables <laughs> in this conference. Like-
0: <laughs> and then Utah at number two, um, which Ralph alluded to. There's an, there's an uh, for all of you people who like controversy. One of our writers, uh, Jeremy McCarthy, wrote an article that here's the headline. Utah is better than Oregon in nineteen in twenty nineteen. Just period. Like, right. and then he goes on to say, say why? I think the article's trash. Uh, just, just from the, just from the headline. But uh, no, on a serious note, he makes some serious cases. And Oregon and Utah's been playing really, really well. So you guys go over there and check that out as well. But now we can go through the games. Uh, and uh, I just looked up the stats, Ralph. Your your boy Hamilcar Rashad. In eight games, twelve sacks. He's putting up some Chase Young type type numbers, but is not getting that same love. But guess when he will get that kind of love? In April. In April, I imagine this kid will be shown a lot of love when the NFL draft comes around. Um, uh, we can we can start with the Oregon State Beavers and the Wildcats. Oregon State, this game was in Arizona. Day game, 130 kick, 56-38. And truth be told, the game wasn't even that close. I mean...
1: (sighs) Yeah, I mean, yeah. There were some opportunities for Arizona to get it within one score in the second half, but you never had faith that they could make a stop. So, yeah, you're right. It was never... It always felt like it was in hand. I mean, it, it Arizona's defense had no idea what was going on. And I saw people making, and I, I want your take on this, because I, I, I made a couple of tweets about the fact that, like, hey, uh, you fired Marcel Yates for, you know, less than this, and you promoted Chuck Cecil, who's one of the most beloved Arizona Wildcats in the history of Arizona Wildcat football, and – And I said, you got to be really careful because when you put somebody that you love in a position to fail, fans are always going to choose the team name and team colors over their hero. You could tarnish your hero. You have to be careful. And then ironically, (laughs) Chuck Cecil, it popped into my timeline that Chuck Cecil favorited a tweet where Mark Schlereth, former Denver Bronco, was going after John Elway you know the most legendary Denver Bronco to ever Denver Bronco about not doing enough to make sure that this team is relevant. Mark Schlereth and John Elway were teammates. Yeah, and he's he's going after his old Super Bowl winning quarterback, potentially the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL. And
0: Tom Brady, he's, uh, he's Tom, going Tom Brady.
1: Oh no, I, yeah, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha, you. Uh, you know, maybe and and again, I, I will remind people because I grew up hating John Elway that he. The most touchdowns he ever threw in a season was 27. Um, But, you know, a a record that Jake Plummer tied. So that just goes to show you. um, but, But he was a tough, gritty guy. Went to a bunch of Super Bowls. He finished on a high note. And I think that that's what everybody remembers. Uh, but he's won a Super Bowl uh, as as an executive as well. The team is bad now, and he's responsible for that bad team. And they're an impatient fan base. They're used to success, and they're used to winning. And guess what? They're going to have to eventually make a choice. And I never thought in a million years that, that you would have to have a choice between John Elway and the Denver Broncos. To me, they've always been one and the same. But people are ready to make that choice and see him ousted. And so it, I'm watching Chuck Cecil favorite tweets about <laughs> – about, you know, John Elway uh, not doing a good job in Denver from a former Denver Bronco. And I'm like, oh, this guy has no idea what's about to happen. Because, you know, all the the entire day I'm seeing tweets of like, oh, I guess it wasn't Marcel Yates fault anyway. But the reaction to that, and this brings me to my question, George, is a lot of people said, oh, well, they only had six days to prepare after this news. What do you expect them to be Ready and in my head, I was like, "Well, you only ever have six days to prepare, and it's just defense. It's not like you're going to reinvent the wheel. And you're at home; it's homecoming. You shouldn't go out there and get steamrolled by a three-win Oregon State, should you? Is that a valid excuse that they only had six days to prepare?
0: Absolutely not. The if you want to give it a, a an excuse, the the excuse is." is that you don't want to take over as a coordinator in the middle of a season unless you are an offensive coordinator because you can change a bunch of things schematically. But on defense, you can't change your players. You can't really change the scheme too much, especially in six days. So that's a job that you really don't want. You do not want interim coach unless you're an interim head coach because you don't have an opportunity to change – that much stuff, like you can't just put in a if if you're running a four three defense, you can't put in a three four defense the next week if that's what you really believe in. You can't put in a team that's heavy blitzing if, if that's what you want. If you're used to playing zone coverage or man coverage, vice versa, it doesn't work like that. So it's always a tough deal getting an interim coach job as a coordinator. So I I don't envy him. I think it's a Bad situation.
1: However, you slice it. It's like this. And you and I, you and I went into this season saying, this Arizona defense has one player, one that you could see starting on every other team in 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 the Pac twelve, and that was what Colin Schooler. So like, and and si- and and since- and I wouldn't even, and he
0: couldn't even start at Cal, or I don't even think I would take. I I would, I would put Troy Die over over yeah. him, like he's. And he's still, you know, their best player on defense is still, you know, the fourth best in the conference probably.
1: it's a Personnel-wise going into this year, and it's no disrespect. You know, I'm sure that I'll get people saying, oh, you cover Arizona State. Like, honestly, I don't care. I, the, I, I like to see Arizona kids do well. I cover a lot of high school football. They are chock full of Arizona kids. I don't enjoy them being miserable. Like, I, I, I genuinely believe there's a huge talent deficiency at Arizona right now. I mean, it's enormous. They need players, and they need players, bad. And it's just not like. And then you fire your defensive coordinator. You don't really have a bunch of defensive recruits right now. That it things aren't looking up.
0: Yep, yep, and and it's especially not good when you have a brother there, like like Colin Schooler. You have Brendan Schooler, who's transferring from Oregon, who's a wide receiver. And guess where he doesn't want to go necessarily?
1: Oh no, we, Arizona—that's well, not good. <laughs> yep, exactly. You better hope that so, that's so because you, they didn't like each other growing up, and not because he sees the writing on the no, wall no, no, there, no. there.
0: No, 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 no. no, Has to do with the head coach, buddy. Has to do with the head Yikes. coach. Oh, um, so um, I mean, uh, unless that turns out to be his best option, he will be going elsewhere. Um. Yeah, so, you know, they gave up a billion yards, dude. They gave up 572 yards. They couldn't stop a nosebleed. Um, they they ran the ball 263 yards. Both backs had over 100 yards in this game, both of them. I mean, you can't, Artavius Pierce and Jamar Jefferson. Jamar Jefferson had three touchdowns. Uh, Another back, Lindsey, had another touchdown touchdown and Oregon State did all of this with 11 penalties. I uh, you know, yeah, so so props so props to Oregon State. Great win. They're sitting at 4 and 4. They got 4 games left. This is a team that can make a bowl game as scary as that sounds. This is a team that is is trending in the right direction. As the beginning of the season, I said, okay, they just need to not um get blown out, stay close, try to steal a couple games. But I, I know that they're kicking themselves for this Hawaii game right, right now because they still got Washington. Because if you're right, Ralph, and Washington is the third best team in the conference, then Washington should win this game, right?
1: they absolutely should and as you always say weird stuff happens on friday night at 8:30 so <laughs> yep they gave them to an fs1 at yep
0: at a 7:30 kick so and then they got arizona state at washington state and at oregon so they're probably going to lose the oregon game and if they end up with 5 wins they are going to be so upset with themselves about not getting that uh about losing to hawaii cuz that cuz that would oh man that's like a program changer right yeah there. And but at
1: the same time it's still massive progress over last year oh for sure cuz cuz they they only won
0: one Pac-12 game in the two previous seasons and what only two two games in general um so next game up your Colorado Buffaloes i'm gonna call them yours because every team that plays against my UCLA Bruins because that was the team I picked to win the Pac-12 South and I can proudly say it at this point in time cuz I don't look crazy anymore. Um Chip Kelly has this team headed in the right direction. They won 31 to 14. What do you have to say for yourself about these Bruins, Ralph?
1: Uh they're 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 good at what they're good at and they're sticking to it. I mean, it at this point, you know what Dillon uh, – I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what Dorian Thompson Robinson can do, right? You know. And so those are the plays that you call. This is kind of how things worked out for Arizona State toward the end of last season with Rob Likens looking at Manny Wilkins and saying, all right, we well, can't throw on the run, but he doesn't turn the ball over, and he's escapable in the pocket. What can we do? And so you start calling plays. That work. Um, Joshua Kelly is a workhorse. You can give him 25 carries a game. He gets better as the game goes on. Um, They're super dangerous with a lead, which is interesting. Um, You know, they they can kind of grind you down a little bit. And I mean, and that's Chip Kelly's forte is once you know what works, just keep doing it. And, you know, Colorado wasn't going to be able to stop them. So it was going to come down to whether or not Colorado could score. And you have to give your boy Jerry Azenaro some credit because uh, what really looked good for UCLA last night was their defense.
0: Yep. As soon as, as soon as we recorded the podcast about should Jerry Azenaro be fired, Jerry Azenaro put together three straight good performances.
1: Three straight good oh, performances. Oh, and we were calling him old and stuff. He's like one of those guys that takes him a while to figure out how to use a smartphone. <laughs> but then all of a sudden he's showing his grandkids stuff that you can do with it like once once he made his mind up that like all right i'm gonna embrace this technology because they i mean they 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 genuinely look pretty good right now i also feel like they've run into some teams who are just not in a good place (laughs) physically and emotionally um you know i think that colorado's really struggling to find any type of of identity right now um, from week to week, their play calling is just super different. The fact that some weeks things work and some weeks that it just looks like nobody uh, knows what they're doing is a problem. You know, they, they, they got to play ASU right after Utah beat the living hell out of ASU and, and UCLA had only played one game in 20 days. Um, and so there's been a little bit of fortune on their side, but all you can do is, you know, if, if you, if you get a lead, then you, then you steal the base, right? So, like, that's what they're doing. They're they're taking advantage of everything that's working their way. They're working themselves up out of the basement of the Pac-12, and they're doing exactly what they did last year, which is something that you said that they would do, and not what I said that they would do. And I've talked way longer about uh, UCLA than I to.
0: You said they would only win one game. Um, uh, so in two weeks, Correct. so Chip Kelly has a whole week off before they play Utah. I, I just just quickly. Just, just quickly, Ralph. Is there any way that they do the unthinkable and beat Utah
1: at Utah? Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, because if you think about it, it what it's going to come down to is can you duplicate Arizona State's effort on the defensive side of the ball? Um, you know, can you can you just sort of force them to run it? and then try to punish Zach Moss as much as possible. And then on the offensive side of the ball, I think they're probably a little bit healthier and more experienced on the on the offensive line. Can you make quick passes and feed the ball to Joshua Kelly? That would keep you in the game. I mean, my 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 mind when just thinking about it right now is like, "Oh god, that's a 35 to 7 game." But the truth is, um, you know, Arizona State was really able to k- take that game down to the wire by doing nothing offensively whatsoever. They, they just were winning field position and doing nothing with it and by being super physical. And so if UCLA can be physically rested to go out there and get in a slugfest um, and just Utah makes one or two mistakes, I think the possibility exists. I, I, I think that it's a very, very slim chance, but I saw what Washington did and I saw what Arizona State did and there are weaknesses, right? There are weaknesses with this Utah team. They're very, very simple ones that Utah should be able to correct. Um, but, I mean, there's an opening there. And uh, and I think the best thing for UCLA is that they'll be rested going into that game.
0: I totally agree. I, I, I think that Chip Kelly, with a whole week off, should be able to do something pretty. You know, should be able to put up, you know, good stats, good numbers, and really find something that some sort of gimmick or trick or something, you know, that should be able to give UCLA some success because they need to have success early because if they have success early, they build that momentum and kind of can ride it out. Like you said, they do, they play well with a lead. So if they can get out early, you know, score, even if it's 14, 14, 14, seven, just seeing the ball get in the end zone could be very, very good for them. Um, but yeah, like, I don't even know what to make of this color Colorado team. They, L- 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 LaVish Kishinald is just beat up last, last week he goes off and goes crazy 176 yards. And, and you're sitting here like, how does this happen? Because UCLA against the pass, their pass defense is 10th in the conference, almost 300 yards a game. And you, and even though LaVishka's hurt, like, you can't get him, give him the ball. Like, it just doesn't make, make sense. Steven Montez, the whole thing is falling apart. Two games left, Ralph. We got the Utah Utes at the Washington Huskies. I thought this was a game that, especially early on, too, I was like, ooh, Washington is putting up a fight. They can win this game. And this, this game was not – it was weird because Washington had dominated the first half. kind of the same way they did in the Oregon game. Second half, they just got run over by Utah. And it started with that – it started with that pick six that Jacob Eason throwed that ill-advised. And on him, I'm like there, – there were times in the first half where I was like, yo, this – I see why this kid is a – could be a top draft pick. He can spin it. I mean, he was excellent. And then he had those two head-scratching, just just ridiculous interceptions, one which went for a pick six. And I'm just sitting there just like, oh, God. It's like good and terrible at the same time, Ralph.
1: Yeah, Washington probably shouldn't have put him in that situation. And then in the end of the game, when they needed him to absolutely be in that situation, he converted three fourth downs. And one of the gutsiest drives that I've seen all year that ultimately amounted to nothing because the onside kick didn't work. Um, But, I mean, he just – every time I watch him, he's Kevin Cobb. If the offensive line lets anybody through, instead of stepping up in the pocket, he drops back. And, um, you know, the offensive line broke down toward the end of that game, and he was constantly in trouble. I think there was just maybe a little bit too much on his shoulders. He did better than I think Jake Locker would have in those situations, because, you know, when you used to put pressure on Jake Locker, he would he'd go from a guy who threw five touchdowns in a game to a guy who couldn't complete a pass. Um, and when I'm talking pressure, pressure, like the kind of pressure that Utah put on yeah. last night. Um, but I mean, it, it you don't want them to go in, you, you want to stick with what works, but at halftime, you know, you got to make some type of adjustment and say like, all right, well they probably expect us to go out there and, um, you know, continue to try to get, get, we, we got to go out there and impose our will. We're, we're the, we're the home team. And so I was kind of surprised with how much they threw in uh, in the second half. Um, it was a close game. It just Utah looked more mature. They looked a little bit more talented, um, and then physically, they're just a dominant. They're just a dominant program. I don't know how they got to that point, but freaking John Pennacini and 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 Bradley and I and Lucky Fotu on the same defensive line is a bit much. Like it's, it, it it's like we said, we said this at the very beginning of the podcast when you and I started this, George, it's a championship defensive line, like not pac 12. It's a championship championship, yep. championship defensive line. And um I mean, they're, they're so good. They're so good. The, the rotating quarterbacks was very interesting because for a minute you and I had also both said that wa- we picked Washington because we didn't think Tyler Huntley was healthy. Well, they did the Arizona thing and they spelled drives and they made sure that they kept Huntley out of trouble. And when he was in the game, he looked pretty good. I I, I thought Um, that
0: for them to win this game, that he would have to have some moments where he was special. Like that, that he did something out of the ordinary and, you know, raised his level of play. And that's not what happened. This defense has just been extremely consistent and,
1: And I think his presence, though, George, like I think his presence is what's special to them. Him being on the field puts everyone on that team at ease. It makes everybody play more relaxed. It's like they know that if Jason Shelley's in the game, that like it's about to get weird, right? Because he's just like this little like bug well, that's scooting all over 40s. the place. And they have to go change their style they can't completely. beat Oregon
0: with Tyler Huntley playing like he did yesterday even though even though he had a solid game like there was nothing wrong with the game that Tyler Huntley played yeah well uh, what did he what did he go um 19 for 24 a touchdown, no interceptions and he rushed for
1: yeah and That's he rushed a Tyler for the game that he he should trademark. <laughs> and that he rushed for night.
0: 16 yards and a touchdown. And and the thing I'm like, he can't beat Oregon like that. And as many times as I've seen really good teams or teams that have special seasons, your quarterback has to do even when you have really good defenses, he's got to do something special if you want your season to be special.
1: And you talk. You know what he's he reminds me of what the Bills are trying to turn Josh Allen into. Like, I bet you that if Tyler Huntley goes to the right NFL team that has a really good defense, I bet he's he wins. He's not
0: going to be a starter in the NFL, Ralph.
1: Stop it. No, dude. I don't know. <laughs> Andy Andy Dalton. Andy in the Dalton's NFL, not that bad. Or was.
0: <laughs> I I am not an. There will be no Andy Dalton slander on this podcast. I, I don't think he's great. But, and yes, he's a bottom tier, I think, because of the franchise he plays for a few few other things, but come on man that that's just outrageous um yeah so but but, you do have to give Zach Moss a ton a ton of credit though he finished leading uh well, he five catches forty one yards and a touchdown, another twenty seven carries hundred and fourteen yards i'm well, well, sorry, 100 yards because he lost 14 yards too. Um, and a touchdown, Like he's a workhorse. They go as far as Zach Moss goes. And if you can stop their run game, you can stop Utah. And But nobody has been able to do that yet. But the rest of their schedule coming up, they're going to, I I just refuse to believe that they can get out of this season Cause everything in my life that football teaches me has taught me otherwise that your quarterback has to do some special things. Some sometimes their last three games are against UCLA, Arizona, and Colorado, my, my mind, you, especially the Colorado game and the Arizona game just looked like walkovers, but I'm just saying like a quarterback has to be special. So m- maybe it's the Pac-12 game against Oregon, but he's going to have to do something special. I stand behind that. Everything I know tells me that Ralph
1: i i mean at, was at times, Jake yeah, special? yeah there were
0: some times where where he did some special things where where he would either make some running plays, some passing plays like you know, but did Washington have a special season while he was there though? no if you want special things to happen you have to make special plays and that's where but at this point do you think utah is better than oregon
1: um no no i mean there there are positions on the field that um there are positions on the field that are definitely better and i mean you you know that uh, here's how you know that uh that Jake Browning wasn't special is because I just called oh, him Jake. Oh, I I th- I thought you were talking Jacob. about Jake Locker. So, anyway. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, so no no no. Utah's not I would I I would think it would've, I I would have indicated it if I if I felt like they were better, you know, do I think that the defensive line is better? Yeah, do I think that the running back group is better? Yeah, but that's not all it takes to win. And so Um, You know, I think everything else probably trends Oregon and, and um, you know, you're talking about two very experienced quarterbacks that would be going head to head. And it feels like we're talking about this PAC 12 championship game. Like it's inevitable at this point. Um, And, and now you have me kind of rooting for it. I usually root for yeah, but especially you should,
0: everybody should want it because that means that you're going to get a, a team in the playoff. If the PAC 12, if Oregon and Utah meet in the Pac-12 championship. They're going to the playoffs. So one of one of them, the winner is going to go. The other one's going to get the Rose Bowl. Uh, yeah. So you get a, a New Year's Six game and a and a uh, playoff spot. That's a win. That is a hundred percent win for the conference. Okay. The last game up, USC at Oregon. I was at this game. USC fans were so hype. They were like, this is our chance. We can win this game. We have talent. Our wide receivers have saved our bacon twice this year against Utah. And then again, last, last week. And it did not go like that. But the thing that stood out to the game in the game, the most was the referees. You had 16 penalties. That resulted in first downs. So. Oregon got 7 penalties that resulted in first downs and USC got got 9 penalties committed by Oregon or not committed or whatever and vice versa with both sets of penalties. So that's 16 first downs attributed to the Zebras, Ralph. Attributed to the Zebras. And it it was just not a fun game to watch.
1: Yeah. I'm glad you said that. I did not enjoy watching this game. I I did not I I found it like Aesthetically horrifying. It, it was it, it. There was all this hype behind it. I was excited, and then it was just a pain in the ass to get through. Like the 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 the, the play even and the play calling added to it. Forty pass attempts in the first half, so it was just extended out for eternity. It and my, one of my biggest issues with this game is you could tell in the locker room before the game. Um, both teams were like, we're going to go out there and we're going to out-physical them. Just go be as physical as possible. With two teams that aren't necessarily, like that's not necessarily their MO, I think that Oregon is moving more in that direction of of fast and physical, not just fast, right? Um, But I I think that USC is kind of more of a finesse team. It, it It was so weird to watch these two teams just out there running into each other as hard as they could I mean, Herbert almost lost a knee. Uh, I, Isaiah Poulamau's hit, which, which is one of those things where it's just like, oh, I guess I hate football now because yeah, he definitely should have been tossed. And B, same, that's what you're supposed to do. And, and with Nick Pickett's easily too. easily a hit, right? I so was like, like, what do, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, it's just and then and then when they weren't throwing flags, and then it, it, we got to the point where when they weren't throwing flags on the broadcast, the people were like. Well, there should have been a flag like Tyler Vaughn, They said pushed off and it was just like regular hand play. So it was just like, all right, so they've already thrown this many flags. So let's just look for what could be a penalty on any given play. And again, this game was so physical, but not in a, it was like a bull in a China shop type deal. You know, uh, it it was just a bunch (laughs) of people smashing into each other incorrectly and getting hurt. Um, to everything about this, I thought it would be more fun. I thought it would be more fun. And then, you you know what else was like, you, I hate to see somebody, you, I guess, you know, we were kind of dancing on Willie Taggart's grave a little bit earlier in the podcast, but I don't, I, I still would have rather seen him succeed. I don't, the, they just kept panning the camera to like Clay Helton as if to say like, <laughs> look at this stupid man's face who's going to get tarmacked next week at Arizona State. Um. And, I, and that may be kind of uncomfortable because it's like, oh, this is a guy's job. And like yeah. these kids are out there kind of fighting for his job. And and I get that there's a lot of money involved and it's grown man football and USC wants to get back to prominence. But you should always want to succeed. You should never want your team to fail so that you can break the bone, reset the bone. And you should just want things to work out. That part of the fan has oh, to exist. That is
0: USC's. That is USC's fan, fan base. They want they want to break they want to break the bone. They do not want to salvage this thing at all. They they as much as a lot of them want it to win, they're happy that that they lost cuz they want the Urban Meyer
1: sweepstakes to start. Man, they're happy they got they they're happy they got run away from. Correct. It. Because that's what makes it look really bad is is the fact that like it, and it shouldn't have been. That margin should not have existed. Yeah, I think you they caused it like they, they they're the way they called that game caused them to get blown out. It should have been closer than it was. You know, they the and the crazy part of this throws a pick six before half. You get that touchdown back and then you give up yeah. a kick return
0: for a touchdown. Oh, my goodness. They so, so here's the at the end of the first quarter, Oregon was down 10-0, 10-0, had zero going on offense or defense.
1: I'm. Should have been down 14. but that so but that goes into it. They should have been down more. Yeah. They should have well, been down more. Well,
0: they're they they got the ball on the eight-yard line. They were up 7-0. Herbert threw a pick, uh, it was a miscommunication with a wide receiver. And the defense goes out and gets a stop. 10 0. USC had the ball again. Had the ball again. And they ended up throwing, throwing a pick. And then Justin Herbert ran a touchdown in seven seven to ten, and then all of a sudden it was you know Jalen Red for a touchdown, Brady Breeze interception. So from the last two thirty six in the game, there were four touchdowns scored. Ralph, I'm sorry, in the second quarter, for, at at two thirty six, Jalen Red ran into the end zone, and then at two sixteen, interception for a touchdown. 20, 20 seconds left. Uh, Michael Pittman scores, and then Michael Wright runs a hundred yard kickoff. That was a backbreaker.
1: What do you think of? Is it Austin Fallu or Falu? Yeah. What do you think of him getting tossed?
0: I I, I thought he deserved to receive one personal foul. The the a second one, like guy, guys are just jaw and just talking. He didn't push anybody else.
1: Yeah. Like I, I was just
0: like, come on, ref, like stop,
1: stop, just yeah. I I. I agree with you now, but in the moment, like I was trying to cook dinner, my kids weren't listening to me. And I was like, he told you three times, get his ass out of there. Like I'm sick of telling my kids more than twice too. You know, like I was, I was like, oh no, that was totally justified. He was, you know, it was, he was being disrespectful. He wasn't respecting the ref's wishes. And then I went back and watched it uh, the second time this morning, you know, just on the highlights or whatever. And it was like, he was backing up. Yeah. He was backing up. Yeah. And, yeah, so that – it was just – guys getting tossed all over the place. What an ugly game! I'm glad it's over with. Um, very curious about Arizona State, USC next week, if oh. there even is a, a next week for this staff. Um, Dude. I think if something would have happened, it probably would have already happened, though, right?
0: Yeah, probably. Well, I, I don't think that they can fire him until they get an athletic director. I mean, who
1: – Yeah.
0: Who's going to fire – I mean, well, they, they officially got bone – uh, but but he hasn't signed the contract yet. So when he when he's formally announced, I don't think his first formal announcement is going to be that he's firing the coach.
1: God, the first thing he should have done is come back after that after that the the moment that game ended and, and demand a raise.
0: <laughs> I, uh, oh, dude, he's like, oh yeah, I actually no no no, I actually need a private jet. <laughs> I need a private jet now. Um, and, yeah. and and truth be told, this final score fifty six to twenty four. Wasn't even as close as it really was because they they added a last. Uh, I think Kyle Ford scored with like three minutes left in complete garbage time. So this was really a fifty-six to seventeen. I mean,
1: it, it was fifty-six to seven. It was really if you if, if you throw away that garbage time touchdown, it was fifty-six to seven run. Yep, fifty in the Coliseum.
0: Yes, I mean it. I, I when it was when Oregon scored and went up. uh uh, on that kickoff return 28 17 and then they were getting the ball back too, so they were up 11 i was like if oregon scores right here this is going to be ball game and they did then they scored again with six minutes left and it was 42 17 and you're like oh wow this is getting out of hand Jawan johnson three straight touchdowns and then uh Micah Pittman scored and it was 56 17. And I could not believe. I was looking at it, I was like, it is 56 to 17. I cannot believe this, considering that it was 10 0 at the end of the first quarter, the other way. And and I I it feels like I know this is a bit of an over, overstatement, but it feels like I'm watching Alabama play football. Like how many times have we seen? Because this is where Cristobal came from. How many times have we seen them, you know, struggle with the team in the first quarter? Like even the Duke game this year was close in the first quarter. Then they just lean on you and they just break you. Like they they just crush you, and you're you're like, hold up, it was just, it was just threes. It was just seven to three. We were up at the end of the first quarter. How did we lose fifty six to? How did we lose fifty six to ten? That was kind of what it felt like.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have much to say. I'm just glad that games are that. The, it's it's increasingly clear who the top two teams are in this conference, and and I'm at the point where I want to see them meet. When usually, you know, I, I don't really care much about the outcomes of the. Uh, once UCLA won their second game, I'm going to be wrong about everything anyway. <laughs> so I don't really care yeah, so, what happens. And now I'm I'm back to the point where I'm like, these two teams have to play each other. Yeah.
0: So it, is do you think there's any way? Well. Do you believe that either one of these two teams is one of the four best teams in the, in the college football?
1: No, no, I don't. Um, I think that, I think that, uh, there's too many offensive liabilities for Utah. And I think that, that, um, Oregon's shown so many consistency issues, um, you know, of who they're going to be from, from, Week to week, talent-wise, I, I think that you could make an argument that Oregon is a year away if they develop some of the guys on this roster, and if Tyler Shuck can can even produce eighty percent of uh, of what you know Justin Herbert did this year. P.S. Shout out to Tyler Shuck for on the last play of that game, absolutely KOing a guy on a lead block. Oh my lord, uh, that was insane, <laughs> dude. Um, that I was like, are you a quarterback or what? That I, he must have hit him just right because that was so loud. I I, I actually screen recorded. I'm gonna tweet it out here in a minute. Um, but he so uh, there was that the, you know I would say that um, I would say that I would put Oregon in the top eight uh, as far as as far as like just in the entire country from top to bottom. And I would put I would put Utah's running game and their defensive line in the top four. But everything else is I think at twenty to twenty five. Um, for me. So I I'm, I'm not quite there yet. Would you do I want them to be absolutely and do I think that going 12 and 1 will get them there? Yes. Um but just from from everything else that I've seen this year uh, there are a couple of teams that I would I I would put put up. You know you know who uh, just on capability alone should be the number 1 team in the country but for some reason they can't put it together is Georgia. You know, they got that win over Florida yesterday, and I was like, yeah, that's more that's more like it, but it still wasn't them running on all cylinders. Um, there, there are just a couple of teams more out there that I think that have a little bit of a leg up. I'd put, I'd put maybe Oregon at seven and Utah 15-16.
0: Oh, no way, bro. I I, I I, think that Utah and Oregon would, would beat Georgia because Georgia is... Man, they... Georgia, they want to run the ball. Well, they they want to keep Jake Fromm under thirty throws. That's their that's their motto and their success that they have the 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 model that they've been successful with. Keep him under thirty throws, and if you're gonna play like like that, you talk can stay in the game with you and beat you.
1: Yeah. Uh. I think yeah, capability to win exists. Yeah. I think the capability yeah. to win exists, but I just if, if you're if you're asking me if I think that either team, I definitely not both, um, but I, I do think that there are elements of both teams that could put them in that conversation and make them competitive. I think Utah can compete with any if they can be that disruptive from the defensive line, they're literally going to be in every game, and I would I would include Bama yeah. in that. They would be in there, the game, but it's just there.
0: There's only for how long. one team that I well. Two teams. Ah, actually, actually, one, because the other one turns over the ball so much at times, is um, I think that I believe is, so I do the power rankings every week. And in my college football power rankings this week, for the last couple of weeks, I've had Ohio State as number one. I don't think that there is a team that can beat Ohio State at this point. And so with, with that being said, That means that that includes Oregon and Utah. But then headed to number two, LSU. I think LSU can be beat. Um, they, it showed it it when they played against Auburn, they couldn't score. And Auburn's defense is, is, is a Utah like defense, except for Utah's offense is better. So I think LSU can be beat. Penn State can, can be beat. They aren't, they don't score enough points. Um, to to run off on you and uh and and all of that so but yeah so but that's that that's it though ralph uh we have had a great episode of the pack 12 apostles um we appreciate your time we appreciate your energy you guys make sure that you guys share the feed tell a friend about the pack 12 podcast and send us emails uh we we have been getting them i'm mad at unafraid show.com. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Peace out, and uh, catch you guys later.